0: Hey guys, John Paulemy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Sunday, December 13th, 2020, and this is the weekly market update. Okay, this week's reality check, uh, we've had quite a bit of news lately of various people, companies, firms, leaving high tax, overregulated, what I would consider uh, places that are negative towards capitalism. What am I talking about? California, okay, New York, New York State. These are the kind of places I'm talking about, New York City, places that have high taxes, that have stupid regulations, goofy politicians uh, doing dumb things. And what we're seeing is an exodus of money and people and talent leaving these uh, types of places and going to low-tax, low-regulation states, i.e., Nevada, Arizona, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina. And I wanted to highlight a few of these here just because it's not a joke. You know, one or one-offs, you know, I, m- I remember I mentioned like a year ago or a couple years ago, you know, the Jimmy John's guy left Illinois. Um, and it doesn't really matter if, if it's just one or two people but you're starting to see an exodus. Why? Because capital goes where it's treated best. You know, I know that the new zeitgeist and the new way of thinking, the the thinking that's fashionable is that, uh, you know, socialism is good, uh, more government's better, this type of thinking. But uh, if you're a producer, if you're somebody that produces wealth, if you're somebody that... um, you know has capital you're not going to stay in a place that's just going to try to expropriate it from you and yeah i mean a lot of people like california because of the weather because of the lifestyle but you know who's going to stay how can you run a business there so just a couple here uh, that i want to talk about elon musk is moving moves to texas they've moved manufacturing here to the austin area uh he said in the particular article that says that California is taking its, quote, success for granted. Uh, Elliott Capital Management, they have about $41 billion under management. That's Paul Singer's shop. You know, they're moving a large chunk of their people from New York City to West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, Charles Schwab, the big discount broker, the big brokerage firm, money management firm, moving from San Francisco to Dallas-Fort Worth. Goldman Sachs is discussing moving its wealth management division to Florida from New York City. And then what are we seeing? Correspondingly to this is we're seeing rents in San Francisco drop 35%, uh, rents in New York City dropping 19%. So a couple things. Yeah, this can be expected just like capital leaves, you know, countries that don't treat it very well and goes to places. That's my whole thesis going forward uh, as the West continues to decline. The interesting thing in the U.S. is, is that Based on the trends, uh, demographic trends and voting trends, you know, probably within a couple election cycles, Texas will be a blue state. Um, we're moving in that direction, whether we like it or not. We're bringing in a lot of third world people. I don't care, people don't like that. Developing world, immigrants, whatever you wanna call them. They don't uh, share the ideals of you know, Jeffersonian democracy and limited government. Um, they just don't, they, they vote democratic majority. That's what the facts show. And a lot of people think that's good. So, um, you know, where do you run to after you go to Texas? And it it turns blue and it turns into California. Now these things take time, it won't happen in a year or two, but the trends are in in place. All the nonsense, the ESG nonsense, the social welfare, uh, social justice nonsense, this is all concentrated in the West, the US and Western Europe, China, Russia, India, they don't uh, subscribe to this nonsense and uh they think it's strange and they're going to take advantage of it so where do you go you know i've brought up you know i'll talk about another success story later in the in this video but you know countries like georgia you know countries smaller countries like uh you know some of the former eastern bloc countries you know countries in southeast asia right Uh, vietnam malaysia these type of places so Capital's gonna go where it's treated best. It's not gonna stick around and be expropriated if it, if it doesn't have to. And eventually we get to that, right? Because the brain drain, the capital drain will continue. Uh, you can only run to Florida and then Texas and then eventually they get, you know, they succumb to this too. It's just a matter of time. What's interesting is, is these people that move from these goofball states to like Texas or Florida, they're, unfortunately, many of them are not able or, un, or they're unwilling to correlate in their mind why things deteriorated such in the state that they left uh, politically and economically. Uh, and then they bring those particular attitudes and voting habits to their new state. And then they transform the new state into the place that they left. It's just seems to be the way it is. So, you know, if you go to Austin, that's why, you know, majority of Texas is, you know, probably more conservative, but Austin is very, you know, they have those tie-dye shirts keep Austin weird. It's known to be very liberal place. So this is interesting. Um, A lot of this around the rents dropping is probably a lot having to do with people working remotely. Uh, You don't have to work in the city, so you don't have to live there. You can work remotely. So that's probably something to do with that. But you know, these big financial companies are a large part of the tax base for these particular states and these cities like New York City's financial capitals, right? Or, and that's going to get, you know, worn down. It's going to go away. And then what's the tax base? You're left with unproductive people or people that can't support the taxation level and the service level. Then this thing turns into a vicious cycle to the downside. I um, wanted to talk about uranium. This is a chart of Cameco. You can see to the right this week, last few weeks, we've had a big breakout. Things been in a trading range for a while. Um, look at the volume down here. This has happened on quite a bit of volume. You're talking, you know, 12, 14, 13 million shares being traded on Friday. A couple times, uh, you know, over 10 million here, uh, 8 million shares. So what do i think is happening i think the realization is beginning to set in among people with money that this this opportunity exists and you know funds flow right the entire uranium sector is probably 10 billion dollars market cap so if you try to stuff any amount of money into these things these things move so we haven't seen a corresponding move in the spot price but i really wouldn't worry about that because you know we saw some news out this week uh, some research where the deficit could be as high as 50 million pounds this year. And, um, you know, there's no new mines coming online. And, uh, I saw an announcement that, uh, Ukraine shut its uranium mines down. Now they were, it was probably less than 2% of world supply, but it's just another brick in the wall of the supply demand, uh, deficit. And, uh, they simply couldn't make money even at these low, these low uh, prices. So the mines were shut down. They weren't paying their workers. They couldn't make their debt payments. Same old story. So, you know, I don't know if this is it. Uh, This was seasonally good period for uranium. Maybe this is just a seasonal move, but at some point you're getting a flavor of what can happen in some of these stocks, I guess is the point. You know, some of the smaller uh, juniors they really blasted off. Some of these things are up 50, 100% or more um, just in the last couple months. So, And we really haven't even got going yet. So wanted to bring this to people's attention. If you don't have a position, you probably need to start thinking about it because uh, I think that, uh, and this is across the whole resource market, everything's breaking higher and uranium had lag. So definitely uh, something to watch going forward. And uh, I think that uh, the analogy or the uh, I heard Doug Casey say that uh, you know when money tries to go into the gold market, it's like the contents of Hoover Dam trying to go through a garden hose. But when you have a uranium bull market it's the, it's the contents of Hoover Dam trying to go through a drinking straw so what i 'm trying to tell you is is that this thing is poised for some really big moves when these things blast off from these low bases so Uh, Talk about that a little bit later in the presentation. I wanted to bring this chart up. This is the S&P 500 historical energy weights um, as a percentage of the S&P. As we've talked about many times uh, down here, uh, this goes out to June, you know, we were at two and a half percent. So even with the big moves we've seen recently in a lot of the oil and gas stocks, Uh, we're still at historical lows. We have a lot of room for uh, multiple expansion here and for this recovery. You know, everybody knows my views on oil and where I think it's going. Um, I think that money now is starting to come into this side of the market. We've seen rotation out of tech stocks. We're just, uh, I think we're at the beginnings of a multi-year bull market in the resource stocks. I've stated that before. And this just shows you that even with the moves we've had, you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, probably looking to get up to, you know, a, at the end of this bull market, say the last one we were up around, you know, over 10% of the S&P. So, you know, this thing can go up 200% before we get where we where, where would be uh, back to the, what we consider the long-term average. You know, I'm not a crypto nut. I'm not a big Bitcoin guy, but you know, I own it now. One of my first videos I made for this channel when I first started a couple of years ago was when I called basically the uh, top in Bitcoin. You can go all the way back and look at it, it as one of my first couple of videos. It was horrible, it was terrible, the production quality, but I called it basically right around the top. And I had a negative attitude about it. Uh, now, I did participate before that. Uh, speculatively. But since that time, I've been, you know, researching it more, I've been talking about it with other people that know what they're talking about. I've been reading about it. And I become more and more convinced that um, as it starts to get adopted by more mainstream entities, that you got to have a position in this. Now, I'm not going to do like a Raoul Paul guy and put 100% of my assets into into cryptos. I'm not going to do that. Uh, That would just be imprudent. For anyone, in my view, but I don't think you want to be in a position where you know, cryptos get mainstreamed and you're sitting on the sidelines with no position. Um, So, I think it's probably worthwhile to have a you know, 1% of your capital allocation to cryptocurrency. And why do I say that? I continue to run into these stories of mainstream, even now, a stodgy insurance company buying Bitcoin. Let's take a look at it. Mass Mutual buys 100 million of Bitcoin. A Massachusetts-based insurance firm has bought $100 million worth of Bitcoin for its general insurance count. Uh, This is a private company, and they oversee insurance accounts topping $235 billion. Now, this isn't some rinky-dink, uh you know, guy running an insurance company out of a strip mall. This is a legitimate, you know, big insurance company. It's been around for a long time. Uh, according to the journal reports the Wall St- I think it's the Wall Street Journal, the investment will provide mass mutual with quote measured yet meaningful exposure to a growing economic aspect of our increasingly digital world unquote. You know, the reason I'm in this Bitcoin thing is because I've talked about it before. The you have to, that's why I think resources are going higher too. People are looking for stores of value. You create wealth, you work, you your time, your life, your energy. Energy is put in and you get dollars, for example, or you get euros. Um, you know, we're kind of programmed even subconsciously like squirrels that we want to squirrel away for a, a rainy day. Most people at least know that subconsciously. And yet if you try to store your capital, your wealth in a currency like the US dollar or the Euro where both of the central banks, the governments in both of these areas have told you they're going to uh, deliberately devalue your wealth. So you simply cannot do that. You know, look at bonds. I mean, the 60, 40, 60% stocks, 40% bond portfolio is nuts what financial advisor is putting their cussed clients into these bonds, these treasuries, you know, that with what we're looking at going forward of an era of inflation, which is basically negative rates. You know, even if you, you know, the argument is I heard uh, David Rosenberg make, well, you know, you're going to get a return, but what's the return get you if it's worth less in purchasing power? Yes, you'll have a nominal return if you buy a 10 year bond, but what's, what's, that money going, what's that $100,000 you put into that bond going to be, what's it going to buy in 10 years? When the Federal Reserve is telling you, has told you, it is seeking to raise the inflation rate. And everything is setting up for that. Continued physical monetary malfeasance, uh, a new political mindset that is uh, for spending money we don't have, uh, has now given a foothold to MMT, uh, has placed Janet Yellen in as the Treasury Department, uh, head of the Treasury Department with a dovish Fed. And she's already made comments that she, wa- she believes that the- her position in the Treasury Department should be you know, there to solve social ills. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And that just means you know very dovish. And that's why a lot of these, you know, these insurance companies, when you buy a life insurance policy, they know from their data that goes back hundreds of years, how long the average person going to live when they buy the policy. So they set up, you pay the premiums and they invest it in, um, you know, they have millions of people they have in these baskets. So they kind of know where they're going to end up. They know what kind of return they need to get so that they can pay off. And so, what are they supposed to do if bonds are having a negative real yield? You know, that's why you know they have two hundred thirty-five billion dollars uh, in insurance accounts. They're putting a hundred million in Bitcoin. If Bitcoin goes a ten times, twenty times, or a hundred times, uh, you know that's going to be material to them. Now they're not going to go a hundred percent in. The regulators wouldn't let them do that. It wouldn't be uh, prudent uh, from a fiduciary point of view, but. What I'm trying to get to the point to you is is that the world, the earth, the ground under you is is dissipating, the ice is melting. If you think that the 6040 Edward Jones financial advisor methodology is going to be prudent for you over the next 10 or 20 years, you're not paying attention. And that's why I think it's prudent to have some allocation to these um, and it's not hard to do anymore. Okay. It's not hard to do this. It was hard a couple years ago, or it wasn't even really hard. It was just, you had to kind of take the time to educate yourself. Now you can do this all from your laptop. So of course, I'm not giving you financial advice. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I have an allocation to several cryptocurrencies. They're not huge in my portfolio, but I don't want to be sitting here. If this goes like, I think it's going to go, I want to have an allocation. You know, there's, like I said, this mass Mitchell, some not not some rinky dink outfit, it's been around since 1851 and they got 5 million people that they're insuring. So it's a legit outfit. Kind of wanted to talk about these mining stocks, they're on fire. Um, you can see, uh, starting from a zero basis back in March of this year, some of these stocks are up over 100%, 200% and in the case of Freeport, mcmoran and Copper and Gold, uh, 250%. Do I think that these things are overbought? Absolutely. Is this the right time to get in? If you're looking to establish a position, you probably should wait. There's a lot of sediment now. A lot of people are talking crazy again, just like they were about gold several months ago. You saw what happened. Uh, Could these things move higher? Yes, in the near term. Uh, But I think you wait for a pullback. Look, this is going to be a multi-year deal here, guys. Now, the best time to take these positions was six months a year ago when they were blown out but now that the trend is more established and the the fog has cleared if you will on what looks like the beginnings of a multi-year resource bull market don't get caught up in fomo these things will pull back people will take profits there'll be another entry point if you're long already do what i'm doing what do you do in a bull market you buy the dips So when these things pull back and come in, which they're, you know, after a 250% move in basically nine months, um, eight months, you're due for a pullback. Uh, But I think longer term, like I said, because of all the monetary uh, currency unit production, physical and monetary uh, creation that's going on, they're going nuts, I'll point that out in other country, uh, going nuts. Um, you're going to see uh, continued moves higher over the next several years. There will You have not missed the train. Let's put it that way. I wanted to bring this up. Twitter. You got to be on Twitter, guys. There's a lot of smart people out there. This is Lyle Taylor. He writes a blog. It's the LT3000 blog, which I recommend. You can just put LT3000 blog into Google. It'll come up. This guy writes pretty good stuff. He was talking about a metallurgical coal miner that basically went up about four times, uh, 4x in one week. I actually hold it in the portfolio. I'm not going to. You can figure this out if you go look this up on Twitter. This is kind of a freebie. If you do a little investigative work, you'll get kind of get uh, be able to figure out what one of the picks is in the in the in the actionable intelligence newsletter. But what I wanted to say was, this is exactly. I think this is well put. These two tweets about this series of tweets talking about my type of speculating and investing and why most people don't like it and why it suits me and why it it goes through long periods where nothing happens and then everything happens all at once. So he's talking about how the stock moved four times in a week and says extrapolation and momentum work until they don't. That's what's going on with the current bull market in the tech stocks and people talking about EVs, linear extrapolation, uh, which creates momentum, and momentum begets more momentum, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, value traps are value traps until they aren't. The outlook is bleak and dire until suddenly it isn't. Remember, the outlook was bleak for all of these stocks a year ago. Now they're, uh, they're outperforming. The outlook is, uh, stocks lack a catalyst until one arrives. You know, the, the, the copper price tanked during the covid thing now it's running at 350 a pound goes on to say i've talked about this many times in the past if you bought this stock you've looked wrong and underperformed virtually every day until three to four trading days ago talking about joel greenblatt here which you should read his books also very smart guy very successful investor Greenblatt has talked about how best performing managers over a decade spend three years in worst performance decile. This is why. That's exactly right. When you're buying things that are blown up, when you're buying things that are out of favor, if you're a true contrarian, you are going to look wrong for a a while. More than likely, if you're doing deep value like we're doing, you're going to look wrong for a long time. And it's not easy. And it's boring. And it wears on you. It's so much easier just to buy Tesla and watch it go up 700 times in a year. But then what? If you are buying it now, do you actually think that over the next 10 years, it will continue like that? Or any of these high flyers, Amazon? I mean, how much, you know, we've talked about this before when these stocks move as much as they did, you know, Cyclically adjusted PEs tell us that the 10 year forward returns are going to be some optimal and you're going to have big drawdown. That's why people don't make money. They jump on what's hot and they sell uh, at the bottom. People should be selling all those stocks. I'm going to show you an example of a place where you can buy things for pennies on the dollar and the earnings in these companies are blowing up and no one cares. No one's doing anything. But this is, this is basically the gist of what we're doing in the actionable intelligence alert newsletter. We are not buying the current high flyers. We buy things that are out of favor. We come up with a thesis of why we think they'll move higher or why it's mispriced. And then we just have to sit and wait for those catalysts to come into play. And then, like I said, in th- in a, within a week worth of trading, you can get a three or four times move. That's how it happens. And that's how you get overperformance in the long term, in my view. So, we talked about it earlier. The stimulus continues. The monetary malfeasance continues in the US, in the European Union, in Japan. Japan announces a $700 billion stimulus. This is not yen, this is, this is $700 billion worth of yen. The latest package to be funded by a third extra budget and next year's annual budget also extends an enhanced furlough program, provides support for medical facilities and homes for the elderly, and cash handouts for single parent families. As Japan adds to an IMF tally of 12 trillion in global stimulus this year. 12 trillion in global stimulus. Unbelievable, and more to come. Democrats and Republicans in the US are haggling over another stimulus package. As we speak, it's going to happen. Sarko goes on to say, the package also looks to shore up corporate cash flows and promote the development of green and digital technology, two areas that Suga is looking to make central themes of his tenure. It's a new PM in Japan. Look, you know, somebody, got, somebody has to do something, right? That's what the voters want. Somebody has to do something. Somebody save me. And where's this money coming from? They don't have the money. It's not in the tax base. But MMT says you don't have to do that because you know you create your own currency. Yeah, it's going to work until it doesn't work. It's going to feel good at first. I'm telling you right now. I'm predicting it. The first couple years of this is going to feel good. Going to be riding high, and then the inflation's going to come, and then what are they going to do? We'll see. I want to talk about Uzbekistan. This is, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to share this. I think it's public. I'll put a link to it. You can tell me if it's public or not. I have access to the website. So this is the newsletter of the Uzbekistan fund that comes out. And I want to give an example, example of what I buy cheap and why. This is directly from the newsletter report that we get for, for people that are in the fund. Now, look, I'm not trying to sell you the fund. This is just what I'm doing. This is hard for most of you guys listening. It's a $25,000 minimum to get into this, but there's nothing stopping you from going to Uzbekistan, finding a brokerage firm and opening an account there. And I actually looked into it before I got into the fund that you can do it through the, you could do it conceivably without even going to Uzbekistan, but don't ask me because I don't have any connections there. I didn't do any research. I started to research it. Uh, then I got into this fund. It's easier for me, but... You know, I've subsequently added to this fund my positions. So third quarter earnings season, this is the October uh, issue of the newsletter, kind of updates the, it comes out every month, update the fund, what's going on. Third quarter earnings season kicked off in October with the AFC Uzbekistan Fund's largest holding, Kazilcom Cement at 31% of the fund reporting nothing short of a monster quarter as earnings surged year on year by 224%. This is a cement company. While book value per share rose 25%. Now show me anywhere in the West where this is happening. This is legit growth. We have consistently beaten the drum that Uzbekistan's early stage of development should lead to several years of strong cement demand, and this has indeed been the case leading QZSM and other listed cement companies, which we also own, to outperform. Goes on to say, on the back of such strong third-quarter earnings, even though the share price rallied strongly, the company still offers extremely deep value, ending October with a PE of 2. The earnings were up 224%, guys. The share price, the book value, is up 25%. It's still selling at a PE of 2. Well, you say, well, John, Uzbekistan, of course. Well, if you don't know what's going on there, you need to educate yourself. This is an example of a country that was basically five years ago, similar, was locked down. Okay, it was kind of a North Korea situation. This is one of the only country, two, of two countries in the world, it's a double landlock. That means it has no access to the sea and all the countries that border it have no access to the sea. But it was one of the most industrialized uh, areas of the former Soviet Union. They have very highly educated people there. They have the former work ethic, uh, or not, I want to say work ethic, but the order ethic, if you will, of a lot of former Soviet republics I've been to. You have a very young population, people that want to do well. You have liberalization of the economy going on since the new PM has been in power. That's what we want to see. We've seen that happen in the country of Georgia. They had economic liberalization. They're one of the leaders in the world of continuing to, continuing to liberal, liberalize their economy and the country has grown at 5% plus for 15 years straight up until the COVID. Now, Uzbekistan's open right now. You can go there. So deep value, guys. PE of two, price to book of 6.6. 6, so you're getting, uh, buying a dollar for, of assets for 60 cents and a dividend yield of 18%. Dividend yield of 18%, a book value of two, and earnings were up 224%. And trading at an enterprise value per ton of installed capacity of $29 per ton. If you wanted to currently build a new cement plant in Uzbekistan, it would cost you $120 per ton. You're basically... (laughs) you're basically at a huge discount of the existing assets, which are generating tremendous cash flow and earnings. You're buying it at a discount, uh, a huge discount to what it would cost you to build something new. I mean, this is what people should be buying. This is value. This is something that if the reforms continue and I don't see any reason why they want, um, you're going to see a revaluation. Capital is going to come into the market. You know, you've seen now as this economy liberalizes, you've seen interest rates come down. Most of the people in the country would just, you know, put their money into banks and get high interest rates. But now as interest rates come down, these dividend yields now become attractive to people internally. Um, This country is a major exporter of cotton. It's a going, it's one of the largest exporters of gold. It's a very uh, large uh, exporter of uranium this is kind of like the country that is set up perfect for the impending resource bull market that I see happening over the next 10 years. This is a country that could grow at 5 to 6% every year for the next 10 years. And and what's interesting, if you read the reports that the chief investment officer puts out, he puts pictures in there and he talks about, he shows this area of development that's going on, of brand new roads, three lanes each way, construction on each side. And he said that back in 2017 or 18, that was just all deserted land. There was nothing there. That's what you want to see. Liberalization of the economy, taking the shackles off, trying to get capital to come in, trying to create an environment that's conducive to capital formation and for people to want to come in. Not driving people out by raising regulations and taxes and coming up with goofy ideas like people in California and New York that are running those places. Do you see the difference? I wanted to juxtapose those at the start of the video and the finish of the video. This is not guaranteed. There's risks involved. There's currency risk involved. There's political risk. Anything can happen. But this is what I'm looking for. This is why I'm interested in certain countries in Africa. This is why I'm interested in a country like Georgia. This is why a country in Central Asia like Uzbekistan has tremendous opportunity. This is why Myanmar should be looked at, Vietnam. These places are going in the exact opposite direction of where Western Europe and the US is going. So what do you choose? Buy overvalued assets that are, that are more overvalued or as overvalued as they were during the last two bubbles we had, or go sell out the high-priced the high stuff and buy the cheap stuff. I know what I'm doing. And that's it for this week, guys. Uh, appreciate you su- supporting the channel. Um, tremendous growth continues to happen. Trying to stay off the political stuff because uh, I think YouTube was suppressing it. It seems like subscriber count is now starting to come back. Uh, but you know, shoot me something in the comments. Uh, tell me what you want to talk about. I'm happy to talk about it. But uh, like I said, I'm getting real. I think this next five to 10 years is going to be tremendous for people that are investing and speculating in resource stocks in countries that supply resources. All right, guys, that's it. Talk to you next week.